the Grinch You really are a heel You're as cuddly as a cactus You're as charming as an eel Mr. Grinch You're a bad banana with a Greasy black peel What's going on, folks? My Take Radio episode 165 for Thursday, December 6, 2012. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. Our feedback line is 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, it's been a... Nice week since I've been back. Um, I, you know, I took a couple of days off, and I also um, was going to take off this week, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. But I figured it would be it would be unfair to not do the show for two weeks in a row, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, first up, of course, uh, make sure to check out all the new content on mytakeradio.com, and also check out all the stuff we are placing on the Facebook fan page which has been quite a bit of stuff in the last couple of days. I will say this, though. One of the things that I missed in the week, of course, was doing the show, and I'll tell you why. Last week, I took the Thursday off and was originally going to do the show Wednesday because I was supposed to be attending the Engadget New York meetup, which, for lack of a better term, was not as great as I had hoped. Let's, let's just put it that way. The reason being, for those of you that know, Engadget is a huge tech blog right up there with The Verge, uh, Joystick, Kotaku, all the regular blogs that are out there. And Engadget in particular has a huge, huge reader base. Huge. And I've attended previous events before for Gadget and other sites, and I was really looking forward to Engadget's offerings because they they do such a great job with content. So leave my office early, head there. And when I get there, it's at the Roseland ballroom, which is a very, very historic venue here in New York city. They, um, they filmed scenes from Malcolm X there. They've done a couple of really great concerts there and a whole bunch of other events. So when I get there, the fact is that, um, when we got there, well, when I got there, I should say, the line went from Roseland, which is on 200, on a hundred and, no. It's, it's close to Rockefeller Center. So pretty much the line went from the venue all the way down Broadway. I'd have to say there was at least, at least a thousand people tops. And the funny thing about it was that, you know, I had press credentials. So I went in, you get searched, they check your bag, then they give you a band um, if you want to consume alcohol at that point, they gave me a wristband, sent me on my way and I went in there and checked in. Now, the funny thing is when you think of Engadget the same way you think of some of these other sites, the expectation is there that you would be getting something more along the lines of, I don't know, an E3 CES, uh, something along that line. But what I ended up getting was a, a huge, huge open space full of guys wandering around trying to get freebies, but also guys that were genuine fans. 
and a total of six, maybe seven tables tops. And I can actually tell you the vendors that were there because this is how easy it was to remember. Barnes & Noble was there showing off the Nook, MakerBot, Oakley, Sprint, Samsung, Spec, um, Airplane Wi-Fi, GoGo. Also, there was iRobot. And that's it. Those were the usual suspects. And the funny thing was, I, I, I demoed a, a lot of the things. And they were doing giveaways with um, the Engadget staff and some of the attendees there. Basically, you drop your question in a box. If your question gets chosen, you go up on stage, make a slight fool out of yourself in some cases, and you'd get a prize. Sometimes it would be cool stuff. Sometimes it wouldn't. Anyway, I went there. I don't drink, so I pretty much wandered around, checked out some of the tables, talked to some of the people that were there attending the event, actually got to link up with uh, Danny from... Royal Flush Magazine, and, you know, we, we we talked about the event and what's going on, and quite honestly, I got there at 6 o'clock, and by almost 8, I had pretty much done the show floor, got the information I needed, checked out all the hardware, and I, ha- I decided to head home, and the crazy thing was that there were a lot of people wandering around the venue complaining about alcohol, you know, about not getting free booze or not getting free food, etc etc which some people expect way too much but i personally just felt let down because for a company as big as engadget i really was kind of disappointed that they didn't have that many vendors there offering a lot of stuff but nonetheless i enjoyed i enjoyed the event for what it was you can check out our coverage on the site um i would like to thank the people of engadget for extending us the invitation hopefully uh, in the future, there'll be more vendors there, and we can check out more of that stuff. But for the amount of time I was there, I didn't need to hang around till 10 o'clock at night hoping to get you know, a, a, a free goodie bag full of stuff I don't need. So I, I was at least very happy to cover the event. Now, as to why I didn't, I didn't plan on doing the show this week, um, actually, the reason is my, my sister, on Sunday, I... You know, and part of this involves the logic of of Rich's life off air. And Sunday Sunday afternoon, we were going to go out, and I see a tube of Ambisol in the bathroom. So the first question I ask is, which one of you has a problem with their teeth? So my brother tells me that it's my sister. So I proceed to call my sister over, and like I said, my sister, she's handicapped. She's developmentally disabled. Um amongst other things, and I tell her, hey, let me see what's going on. So when she opens her mouth, it looks like a tooth looks like her gum is swallowing her tooth. It pretty much looks like a Metroid is resting on the top of one of her teeth. And, of course, her gum is extremely swollen, and I ask her if it hurts. She tells me, no, it doesn't hurt, which, you know, in kids speak, when they tell you it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt bad enough for it to annoy them, but there's definite discomfort. Nonetheless, I grew in incredibly concerned and I sent her to the doctor um, earlier today finally and the doctor pretty much said that they have to perform surgery tomorrow morning to remove whatever's there I guess what's going on with the tooth itself shave down her gum and a load of other stuff now obviously there's a procedure that for her it's it's something completely new and like I said given that she's handicapped it's uh, it's going to be a crazy day for me, and the reason I wasn't going to do the show is just because, you know, 
running the show until 2 a.m. and waking up at 6 to go to the Bronx, which is where her her hospital is located, which is one of the boroughs here in New York City, is a, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a tedious thing. Um, I'd experienced something similar with my with my older sister who has autism. And in her case, they had to do something far more serious in which was, you know, I had to have an anesthesiologist and she had to get knocked out completely for them to not only do a cleaning, but to do a complete surgical procedure. So it's not my first experience, but it's my first experience with my younger sister. And, you know, given that she suffers from seizures, you know, I, I get concerned about gas and Novocaine and stuff interacting with her, interacting with her in a, in a negative way. So nonetheless, the show, the show tonight, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a blast. It might be a little shorter than usual, but that's only because I want to make sure I can get up early and take care of this personal stuff. And of course, some of you are going to say, oh, you know, Rich sharing his personal shit, whatever. I just try to keep you guys informed because it would be a disservice to not do a show for you guys two weeks in a row. Now, Let's get into some other announcements because I wanted to get some other stuff out of the way. Um, I've been seeing a lot of you really interacting hardcore on our Facebook fan page, and I really, 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 really do appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the fact that you guys are out there sharing our content. And as always, we're looking for different things to add. If you guys want more cosplay, more videos, more wrestling, I try to keep it as diverse as possible. And the, the beauty of it is, you know, Slick and Andrea, they step up. And they throw content in there as well. The last two Mondays, I've been just battling extreme exhaustion. So so Slick has actually stepped in. And he's been doing a lot of our raw commentary Monday nights on the fan page. So I got to really thank Slick for that. He's been holding it down. And um, while I'm at it, I will discuss the holiday schedule. As, as we all know, um, both Thursdays fall really, really close to... Two holidays, obviously the 21st, uh, the 20th and 21st, closer to Christmas Eve, and the 27th slash 28th fall closer to New Year's Eve, at which point I am right now 50-50 about doing a show those two weeks, obviously, because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I know a lot of you may have time off from school and stuff, so if the schedule's permitting and things run according to plan, they will be there will be episodes the 20th and the 27th if that is not the case the final episode of 2012 will probably be thurs, uh, thursday the 13th but again that's subject to change and as always i'll keep you guys in the loop as to what we're going to do with regards to that i actually met with our web developer earlier this week to make some improvements to mytakeradio.com I noticed a couple of issues going on behind the scenes regarding some coding and stuff, especially when we add our Amazon store shopping links and a couple of other things that we'd like to add to the site. So you're going to be seeing some some gradual changes over over the next couple of weeks. And there's been some discussion about uh, migrating MTR to what I like to call version 5.0 and um, starting fresh for 2013 with a with a fresh coat of paint and some stuff. So we'll see if we decide to do that, but it's one of the things that the developer brought to my attention only because there are certain aspects of the site that are outgrowing the layout, which it's to be expected considering the amount of content that we have, which it's going to be increasing over the next few days. We've been doing more stuff with Marvel, which I'm very happy about. I'm trying to do more stuff with image 
and we're going to be doing a lot more with Dark Horse. Uh, they actually sent us the Legend of Zelda book in um, in digital form, which we're going to look at. I can't say more about it until January 28th, but I'm really looking forward to reviewing that for you guys. Also, you probably saw my review of the Digimon box set, which was very, very lackluster for something that's been that has such a storied history as Digimon. But hey, what can you do? You can't you can't win them all. Uh, our Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray review is up, and I'm very happy with the way that came out because it was something that really took at least three viewings for me to really get the gist of it and to get the pretty much get it down to where I can feel comfortable with it. So I'm glad that a lot of people are reading that. Andrea, of course, reviewed the newest Twilight. We got a couple of things coming to the YouTube channel in a few days. I know Slick is working on some stuff. Um, you know, him and I have been in communication about a couple of projects that, you know, a couple of stuff I, I tossed his way that he's going to be uh, taken care of, hopefully within the next couple of days. And you guys can check out that content as well. A lot of people have been looking at Slick's TED review. I'm assuming because Ted will be out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray soon. And I'm actually very, very happy with the way that review turned out. Slick did a great job with it. So keep reading the stuff. But as always, take a moment, comment, let us know what improvements you'd like to see. And we will try and implement them as soon as possible. All right. Now, this week's, uh, I guess, you know, what I have going on is part of the monologue. But I actually also wanted to talk about uh, something that was discussed earlier this week, and that is regarding best of articles for 2012. There was a debate going on about doing best of 2012 games, wrestling, uh, things of that nature. I'm a little on the fence about that because it's something that can create a lot of headaches and it's becoming something that a lot of sites do, but there, there may be one or two articles I'm going to put out. So be on the lookout for that. Last but not least, um, MTR is always looking for great, talented writers to add to our roster. Um, look, it's not a paid gig. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bullshit you guys, but we get a lot of cool shit and we try to spread it around as best as possible. Uh, gaming reviews, comics, etc. Uh, right now we're really looking for somebody that wants to help us reviewing comics for the comic section and we need a sec, maybe a second set of hands to round out, uh, just pretty much entertainment and gaming a little bit of both somebody who has a, a a major in both of those would definitely be appreciated if it's something that you guys are interested in doing please feel free to drop me a note mtrhost at mytakeradio.com please make sure to tell us a little bit about yourself include any links to previous work you have done or a writing sample at best and you know if you're chosen we will send you the you know the welcome package and we'll take it from there so we are always looking for new writers. Uh, we're also always welcoming guest writers, guys who who want to maybe toss one or two articles here and there, but don't want to work full time. Uh, definitely can accommodate that as well. So drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. All right, tonight's topics. We're going to talk about a couple of things going on, not only in the UFC, but also with Strike Force. We got a little bit of Bellator as well. We're going to talk about Monday Night Raw which um, actually opened a, a, a different set of issues for a lot of, of people, especially The Shield, CM Punk, those guys. There's a lot of stuff regarding them, and we're going to talk about that at length. The other thing I did want to discuss 
of course, is some of the stuff going on in gaming this week, which there were a couple of milestones, especially with regards to Call of Duty. We're going to talk about that. And last but not least, we got your entertainment section. We got some what the fuck movie news this week, which I'm sure is going to make many of you very, very, very happy considering the fact that, you know, most of it involves just just terrible, terrible bits of news. And um, before we get into it, I do got to say that in uh, two weeks, actually in, in a week's time, The Hobbit is in theaters. Hopefully we're going to I'm going to check that out opening Hello. weekend and we'll Steve, have a review for that for as well. Um, the crazy thing about that is that I rarely, rarely, rarely go to the movies opening weekend. And if I do, it is a miracle to say the least. So I'm going to tell you guys now, pre please pray for my soul when I go to see the Hobbit opening weekend, because I don't think I'm going to make it back. Anyway, let me, uh, get the ball rolling and try and bang out this show for you guys. If I can actually get the soundboard working then at least we can get the mma segment started because you know why would anything work on the one night where i need it to but that's part of why we do the show live anyway let's see the soundboard is loading up and uh yeah of course nothing nothing wants to work here we go anyway let's talk some mma Alright, first up, let's get into some Strike Force news. And before I even start that, of course, this week's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite MMA gear, including training gear, fighter apparel, your favorite fighter shirts from MMAWarehouse.com. So we're gonna get the ball rolling with Strike Force this week. First bit of news coming out of the Strike Force camp. We got a couple of fights added to the last Strike Force card, which of course goes down January twelfth. Uh, first up, Gegard Musasi will be making his return to the cage to take on Mike Kyle. We're also going to be seeing Ryan Couture, son of the natural Randy Couture, taking on KJ Nunes. I'm actually really looking forward to that fight. I think it's a great opportunity for Ryan Couture to showcase his skills. And honestly, I think that if he does well, he's going to be a shoe-in for the UFC roster. Also, Josh Barnett will be competing on that card. He's going to be taking on Nandor Gelmino, who is 11 and 3. He is making his way into Strike Force. This is Barnett's final fight on his Strike Force contract. Then we're going to see if he makes the transition to the UFC. Also added to that, uh, Lorenz Larkin, he's going to be taking on Jacare Souza. Uh, Larkin and, and Souza are meeting because Luke Rockhold is not going to be able to compete due to his injury. Also fighting on that card, Tim Kennedy is going to be taking on Trevor Smith. Last but not least, the main event for that card, Nate Marquardt taking on Tarek Safadine for the welterweight title. Daniel Cormier is taking on Dion Starring. And um, there's a rumored fight, which hasn't been announced yet, between Pat Healy and Jorge Masvidal. The way I see it is, um, if the Pat Healy-Jorge Masvidal fight comes together, it's going to be a great way to close things out. Um, also, which I'm sure is going to be a prelim fight, we're going to see George Gurgel taking on Adriano Market, uh, Martins, excuse me, I thought it was Marquez, and he's also going to be on that card. I don't know if that's going to be 
specifically a paper, uh, not a pay-per-view, a Showtime card. I'm thinking maybe Show Extreme, but you never know. The way the card breaks down, I'm thinking that possibly the opener may be um, Tim Kennedy and Trevor Smith, but some people are saying it might be Hodger Gracie and his fight will be the opener on the Showtime card. But nonetheless, this is the last Strike Force show, January 12th, Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City. I'm really looking forward to this card, not only because it's the final Strike Force event, but because a lot of these guys are going to go in there and try and give the most impressive showings possible to make their way onto the UFC roster. And frankly, I think there are a lot of the a lot of fighters there that would be shoe-ins for the UFC roster. Nate Marquardt, of course, Tarek Safadine, Cormier, Musasi, Mike Kyle, Larkin, Jacare, Josh Barnett, Masvidal, Hodger Gracie, Pat Healy, Tim Kennedy. Nunes, Gurgel, and Couture, all guys that I think have a solid chance of making it onto the UFC roster. But we'll see once the carnage is over January 12th where these bodies are going to end up. I'm thinking most of them will make that transition. But until then, you know, closer to the event, we'll see what some of these guys are planning to do. In some Bellator news, which I haven't talked about in a while, King Mo is scheduled to make his debut on Bellator Thursday, January 17th. And the way it's going to work is Bellator is moving to the Thursday night slot with Impact being the lead-in. Now, this works a couple of different ways because once King Mo starts competing in Impact Professional Wrestling, that may actually help out in terms of being a great lead-in for Bellator. I honestly think that Friday night is a death knell, not only for wrestling, but even for MMA because not a lot of people are going to take a Friday night to check that out. So it's very good. It's a good thing, excuse me, to see Bellator following impact. Hopefully it'll generate some good ratings for both, for both promotions. Now switching gears, let's get into the UFC side of things. Dominic Cruz, unfortunately is going to have to be on the shelf a little longer. Um, Last time we talked about Dominic Cruz, it was, he was getting ACL surgery and it seems that his replacement ACL, which was, Uh, an ACL used from a cadaver was rejected by his body. So he's going to need to have a brand new surgery and it's going to sideline him for another six to nine months. Like I said, he, he underwent corrective surgery in June uh, in preparation for his match with Uriah Faber. Um, His ACL and his MCL were replaced, um, which of course he, you know, he, he had the MCL tear, um, in with uh, prior to a fight with Charlie Valencia in 2008, so he, he's just he's just not faring well. Now the crazy thing about this is that Dominic Cruz on the shelf um, leaves the interim title around the the, the waist of Henan Barrow, who will now be defending that interim title against Michael McDonald in early 2013. It seems that, that you know it's it's unfortunate that the injury bug is just so prevalent these last couple of months because of the, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing Barrow and Cruz link up just to unify the belts and hopefully just kind of give that division a little bit more of a clear direction. But unfortunately that is not going to be the case. UFC 156 is coming together really well. Also that goes down February 2nd. And one of the newest fights added to that card is Joe Benavidez taking on Ian McCall, which is going to be a great fight. Also on that card, Jay Haran, Eric Silva, John Fitch, Damian Maya, Alistair Overeem is taking on Antonio Bigfoot Silva, which should be an awesome fight. 
Uh, Rashad Evans taking on Nagara, and also Jose Aldo is defending his featherweight title against Frankie Edgar, which I think is going to be an amazing fight. So that goes down February 2nd. Great way to get into 2013 early with some really, really exciting fights. One fight that was announced earlier this week that I just didn't expect out of nowhere and I think is a fitting fight for the UFC's return to Japan is Mark Hunt taking on Stefan Struve. That's going down on UFC on Fuel TV 8 in Japan. It's going to be taking place March 3rd, uh, which is going to be March 2nd here in the U.S. due to a time difference at the Saitama Super Arena in Saitama, Japan. That is going to be an amazing fight. And the only reason I'm saying that isn't so much because of the guys involved, but because these guys are going to come out there and they're going to swing leather and it's pretty much going to be swing, swing, swing until somebody's dead. That's how it goes. Mark Hunt has good stand-up. And Stefan Struve, you know, he's the skyscraper. He's got great height, nice, solid Muay Thai. And I think that it's going to be a fight that's going to have a highlight reel finish. Another fight that was put together earlier this week um, and announced on MMAJunkie.com was Ivan Menjivar meeting Uriah Faber. That's going down at UFC 157 in California. This is going to be a rematch from their 2006 fight that took place where Menjivar was disqualified for an illegal upkick. Again, UFC 157 is going to take place February 23rd at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. It's only fitting that the UFC card in California has Uriah Faber on the card. In some other UFC injury news, and I was really bummed about this because I was really looking forward to this fight as well. uh, Forrest Griffin is on the shelf. He has an MCL tear and an ACL strain. So Forrest Griffin is out of his fight with Phil Davis, which was supposed to be taking place at the end of the month, December 29th, you know, the final fight of 2012. No idea who the replacement is going to be for Griffin, but but seriously, this is a tremendous blow. The, the end of the year cards for the UFC are always fantastic, and I was really looking forward to seeing Phil Davis go in there, do his thing, or at least Forrest Griffin to maybe give us an upset Either way, Griffin's on the shelf, and Davis does not have an opponent. This weekend, of course, we got the UFC on Fox. You're going to see my fight picks tomorrow afternoon, hopefully. And um, one of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing is the Fox Phantom Cam that was announced by Fox Sports earlier this week. So we're going to be seeing that for the UFC on Fox broadcast. These cameras are going to be mounted on a truss frame near the cage, and it's going to be cool to see because the phantom cams are going to be capable of shooting 5,000 frames per second. So you're going to catch all that action with these brand new cameras. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it, and especially with HD broadcast to see how well it affects the presentation of that card. So be on the lookout for that if you are watching UFC on Fox this weekend in HD, and let me know what you think if you... Uh, if you guys noticed any difference or if you or if you didn't see anything and it just looked the same. I'm curious to see what other people are going to see this weekend with regards to that. TMZ of all places reported that Ronda Rousey will be taking on Liz Carmouche at UFC 157. Of course, the UFC has officially confirmed that. And there's actually pictures floating around of Ronda Rousey being awarded the UFC women's title. So very, very cool to see. Uh, the ladies make their debut, UFC 157 in Anaheim. It's going to it's gonna be history in the making, I'm telling you guys. And I think Carmouche is a great opponent. 
Ronda Rousey, of course, trying to make a statement in the UFC and, of course, awaiting Chris Cyborg, which, of course, there's the big flip-flop every week. One week, she, she says she can make weight. Another week, she says she can't make weight. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I tell you what, when Cyborg and Rousey do meet, it's going to be a fight that's going to be watched by millions of fucking people because the hype train for that fight is going to be insane. Now, the last bit of MMA news to wrap things up. We all know GSP is destined to meet Anderson Silva, destined to meet him. But after UFC's hard-fought, um, UFC, GSP's hard-fought victory against Carlos Condit at the last UFC pay-per-view, it we all expected him to take some time off and do the super fight with Anderson Silva, but it seems that GSP is kind of carving out his own path, so to speak, because he actually wants a fight with Nick Diaz. He feels that he has unfinished business with Nick Diaz, and that's the fight that he wants. Dana White says that that's the fight that we will probably make. Now, of course, a lot of people are making a case for Johnny Hendricks, and um, Dana White said, listen, Johnny Hendricks has got some great fights. When you talk about winning in spectacular fashion, this guy hits people so hard, they skid across the octagon. But he's in no position to demand anything. George St. Pierre is the champ, has been forever, and if that's the fight that he wants, then that's probably the fight we're going to give him if Diaz accepts it. I guarantee you Nick Diaz is going to accept that fight, and that fight is going to be another record-breaking UFC pay-per-view. I can tell you that. And whichever way that fight goes, I'm just happy it's going to happen. There's always going to be time for GSP and Anderson Silva. And frankly, Anderson Silva and John Jones is, is... more attractive to me right now than GSP and Anderson Silva because GSP still has at least three fights in his division. He can do, obviously, Nick Diaz. You can do another fight. You can do a fight with Johnny Hendricks. And there's always the possible rematch with Carlos Condit. So you got three fights you can do. If he gets through those three fights, make the jump to 85, and then we get the super fight. Simple as that. All right. Well, That's going to wrap up the MMA for this week. Let's get into some wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! I had to use the Antonio Cesaro music this week because for some reason, every time it plays, it stays stuck. No idea, but it does. Um, Antonio Cesaro is a guy that actually has been making quite a name for himself in every match that he's done, so I figured I'd give him a little bit of a of a shout-out with his theme music this week. But the big thing that everybody's here for is to talk about Raw, so let's get right into it. So Raw opened up in, a, in in epic fashion with Team Hell No making their way to the ring and shouting out the Shield who were hanging out in the upper deck 
And of course, Team Hell No took on the primetime players in a very, very competitive match, as usual. Um, of course, as it's to be expected, the Shield made their way down to the ring post-match and proceeded to whoop Team Hell No's ass, which I, I really am digging the way that the Shield is handling business. They don't they they have a very a very broad message since their debut. They they're the Shield of Injustice. Now the way the way we look at it is a couple of ways. Is it the Shield of Injustices committed against the the guys like CM Punk, or is it just the Shield of Injustice committed against heels in general? It's a, it's a very very broad statement, but I honestly think that the way that they're handling themselves thus far has been good. And I can tell you that Dean Ambrose is a guy you need to keep an eye on. That is the guy that's going to break out first. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of of Tyler Black, uh, who is Seth Rollins. But I think that Ambrose is the guy that you got to keep an eye on because he is he is tremendous. His his interview with Michael Cole was it was very interesting because of the mannerisms and the and the awkwardness of the way he presented himself. A lot of people have been talking about that with me, and and one guy actually mentioned it on the fan page. And that's the the similarities in the, in the delivery between Ambrose and Heath Ledger's Joker. And you know what? I can I can see that J- just him leaning in, just real creepy, and um, you know, sharing the way he responded to Michael Cole. I can see where people can see those similarities. I like the way it was done because the interview in general helped each one of the guys out in terms of showcasing their strengths. And when I say that, it's because Ambrose is the talker. Rollins is the athlete and Reigns is the muscle. And it worked out well. I mean, Rollins' promo definitely in that interview segment was a little spotty. And I think part of it is jitters. And I'm sure they did a couple of takes and they just went with it. Reigns is really good because he's probably not 100% developed on the mic. But he's a guy that has physical presence, which... At this point, you always need that one enforcer character. And sometimes, you know, the silent deadly type works a little better in these instances. Hell, it's it's worked for Ryback so far. I mean, he's been cutting promos more frequently, but sometimes coming out there, having a dominant performance and going about your business is just enough to get over. Moving on, AJ Lee took on Tamina in a very... I almost thought it was going to be a squash just to, just to showcase Tamina, but then I remembered... Who was involved? Clearly, it w- with AJ, we're not gonna have her squashed by Tamina, and she did manage to sneak in and get the roll up, and AJ got the victory. Now, one thing I gotta talk about is the the segment between the Miz and CM Punk, which was a, a nice way to kind of bring the Miz's face turn full circle. His interaction with Punk still maintained the that tweener vibe, which was good. Um, him calling Paul Heyman a walrus. Nice way to get the crowd eating out of your hand. Very, very solid mic work from The Miz. And of course, CM Punk is CM Punk. And he makes everything look good. Now, Big Show and Dolph Ziggler took on John Cena and Sheamus and was what was pretty much an angle advancement match. It, it went as good as it could have. I mean, the, the big thing is just to keep the feud out there, keep the feud fresh. But the I pretty much fast-forwarded through this match because I was watching Raw on tape delay. And I stopped because Damian Sandow delivered another amazing segment as he searches for his apprentice. Sandow, another guy. You got to keep an eye on him. 
tremendous mic work, solid worker, great matches with everybody involved, and he proceeded to kill Santino Morella dead, which is fine in my book. Alberto Del Rio took on Sin Cara for the 85,000th time. Move it the fuck on. Mr. McMahon came out, met with Vicky Guerrero, Condor into creating a match with John Cena and Ziggler with the Money in the Bank briefcase on the line. If the internet website, if the websites are to be believed, obviously the goal here is to have Cena get the Money in the Bank briefcase to cash it in and take on The Rock if he manages to take the belt from CM Punk at the Rumble. We got ourselves a glorified squash match with Randy Orton and Brad Maddox as he continues to try and earn himself a contract on the Raw roster. Um, it was it was what what you would expect from a guy like Maddox. He's he's cocky, he's arrogant, he really knows how to sell his character. Then he goes out there and he gets killed by Captain Boredom himself, Randy Orton, which it's to be expected. I think Brad Maddox, the way it's going to go down is he's probably going to continue just getting laid out every time he tries to get a contract, and then he's going to steal a victory and get himself a contract. It'll probably happen at a pay-per-view, and it'll be against somebody that's in the upper mid-card. Definitely not a Randy Orton, definitely not a Ryback, but somebody is going to be the guy that's going to allow Brad Maddox to get that contract. Who the fuck knows who it can be at this point? Now, something that actually was the, the better match of the night and which led to me using his theme music this week. We were supposed to get a tag match. Kofi Kingston and R-Truth were supposed to take on Antonio Cesaro and Wade Barrett. What ended up happening was they decided to do Raw Active where the fans would vote on one of the titles being defended in a fatal four-way. Now, it turns out that the votes went in favor of Antonio Cesaro's U.S. Championship being on the line, which opened up a huge Pandora's box of possibilities. You had the possibility of Kofi Kingston winning both belts. You had the possibility of Wade Barrett winning the U.S. title. You also had the possibility of R-Truth winning the title and Cesaro just not even being pinned. So there were a lot of different things, and for once, I was actually surprised at the way the match turned out because I thought they were going to try and pull the whole possibly unifying the belt and put the belt on Kofi, but I really like the fact that Cesaro snook in there with a with an amazing, amazing lift off of Kofi Kingston to avoid the pinfall and get the neutralizer for the three count. It was insane. It was it was so well done. And um again, Cesaro just picked up Kofi Kingston like a rag doll to set him up. And it was it was beautifully done and perfectly executed from start to finish. Nice work. Um, Of course, an an awesome uppercut spot from Cesaro as well. It really brought the match full circle, and I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with all four participants. And I got a group R-Truth in there. R-Truth definitely added to that match, and it was really, really good. Now, of course, the, um, the main event angle involved Miz TV with the Miz having CM Punk take a lie detector test. And if CM Punk lied on the test, Paul Heyman would face Ryback next week. If anyone has watched wrestling for as long as I have, we all know that before CM Punk would get the first lie out of his mouth, something was going to happen. In that particular instance, of course, it was the Shield, once again, shielding CM Punk from the injustice of the lie detector test. Um, Ryback came out for the save, 
ended up killing everybody dead, powerbombing CM Punk through a table, and that pretty much closed out Raw. A day or two after, it was announced that CM Punk had to go in for emergency surgery. Turns out he had um, some issues going on with his knee that were that that pretty much had his knee lock up. And with that said, CM Punk went under the knife and is expected to be fully recovered in three weeks, which obviously puts a a, a, bit, a damper on the TLC pay per view match with Ryback, but. CM Punk was willing to work that event. WWE would rather keep CM Punk healthy to take on The Rock at the Royal Rumble. Honestly, it's a smart move. You can still have CM Punk be a player all the way up to the pay-per-view. And now it's going to be The Shield taking on Team Hell No and Ryback in the TLC match. Which is fine. I think it works either way. I think it's the opportunity of a lifetime for the guys from The Shield. And the reason I say that is because... Normally, guys that are in factions, they they wrestle in. I almost want to say like it's a it's the, their ring time is very limited because they're so involved in the angles that they're a part of. So when you throw them in a match, it's really just something quick, just to get them out there and showcase some of their skills. This particular instance is going to allow these guys to get not only an upper, practically either main event or co-main event slot. But it's going to allow them to showcase uh, to showcase their complete move set without zero ramifications whatsoever, because they're kind of getting a trial by fire. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Honestly, I mean, don't get me wrong, Punk and Ryback TLC would have been good, but these three guys getting the nod and going in there against such established guys like Daniel Bryan and Kane, and even and Ry- Ryback is is fairly good. I'm sure in the pair offs, Ry- you'll get Ryback. Pairing off with Reigns, you'll get Rollins with Kane and Ambrose with Brian, which of course is going to be just amazing from start to finish. It's not so bad, and honestly, it's about time that the WWE took a step back and really took the well-being of their talent into consideration. There you have it. All right, let me uh, bring Slick in because he has some stuff he wants to add. So let me bring him on. Slick, what's going on, dude? What's up, man? Not too much. Same old shit. What do you got for me? I I mean, unfortunately, the rumors from the internet are usually right, and I just don't understand why the writers just, like, they just fuck up good opportunities. This How's that? This match with Cena versus Ziggler for the money in the bank is just a chance to do something, you know, really cool. Because, you, like you said, Cena's going to win the match. They'll get the money in the bank. But you're saying that they'll probably have him use it against CM Punk somehow, which doesn't make any sense because that, that briefcase is for the... Um, for the world title for SmackDown. The world you're right. Yeah. <clears throat> which they should have Cena win that, then have him face CM Punk, have CM Punk beat him, and have CM Punk have both belts, because then that would just completely solidify his heel angle. Have him talk so much shit that he's the best in the world because he has both belts now. And then, you know, have him face the rock and just get destroyed or whatever. Honestly, yeah, I, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, it was good, 
I was going to say that I, I think that would make for you know such good storytelling to finish out the year and take us into like the Rumble and WrestleMania. I think that the problem is when when you have someone of the caliber of CM Punk, and it's very hard to to keep his character engaged with the audience when we're having to recycle the same matches. It's like him and Cena, okay. Him and Ryback, it's been done now. For all intents and purposes, it was going to be done twice. There's there's more to be done with CM Punk's character than keeping him involved with just Ryback. Honestly, CM Punk's character, once he gets healthy, should be making a beeline for The Rock. If anything, the company needs to start focusing their 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 energy on not only establishing CM Punk as your top heel of the company, but you just need to give him those opportunities against guys that you know people are going to think he cannot beat. Like personally, and this was something I had said before, I wouldn't mind CM Punk facing The Rock, retaining due to interference from Brock Lesnar, setting up Brock versus Rock, which I mentioned on the fan page, at WrestleMania. That in turn would focus CM Punk on maybe, maybe getting himself a match with, I don't know, The Undertaker. Best in the world versus The Streak. And you'd get better mic work, better wrestling, and the outcome of of Punk and Taker, yeah, you'd honestly think, yeah, Taker might win, you know, Taker is going to win. But there's always that glimmer of hope that CM Punk may break the streak. Exactly. And Brock and Rock is just, it, it, it's money, dude. It's money. You get two guys that wrestle part-time. They don't really have to do a lot to sell the match. Because you can say it's, it's you know, it's been 10 years since they faced off at Survivor Series. And The Rock has a grudge. Easy peasy. Wrap it up in a bow. But even if, you know, even if they he, he were to do what I was saying... Just to have them, you know, take the world title from him and have like some kind of tournament on SmackDown to, to crown a new champion. Just with the the angle that they have him on, it's like it's like it writes itself. It makes no sense for them not to go that way. No, I agree. I mean, it's while while yeah, you know, Punk and Rock is going to be good, but to use the belt as the catalyst for Cena and Rock, when you know Cena, the Rock is probably going to have the belt and he they may have him retain it and then retire as champion. It's, it's just something that I kind of see it going in that direction. And I think that it's just a disservice because you're, you're not to say that you're rewarding a guy that that's partially invested, but you're awarding a championship to a guy who is, who is part-time on your roster. Winning the belt is an accomplishment. It's an accolade. Yeah, The Rock wants to win the belt one last time, and that's great. But if he goes into Mania... He doesn't deserve a title shot right now. Right, and if he goes into Mania as champion, how are you going to build that up if he has to go out and promote Fast 6, G.I. Joe, etc., etc.? Is The Rock going to be on the road that many times leading up to Mania? I think it's impossible 
Like I said, smart money is Punk retains interference from Lesnar. That way you can use those Raws building up to Mania. Rock pops up one week. Lesnar pops up the other week. You got Paul Heyman fanning the flames. Eventually, both guys are at the at the arena at the same time. We get the stare down. Maybe we get an F5 one week. Maybe we get a rock bottom the other week. And it keeps the fans more engaged versus doing it the way that they're saying it's going to be done. But that, and again, this is why I, I'm saying I, I would push the Angelos at least for that night having CM Punk hold two belts because it pushes his best in the world angle. It gives him another thing to talk shit about. It would actually help with, you know, him versus The Rock because if you notice, right now, CM Punk doesn't even consider The Rock a wrestler. He won't call him by his ring name. He yep. calls him Dwayne. Yep, hilarious. Exactly. The way I see it, the way I see it in that case, there's so much that you can do with Rock and Punk to build up that match that honestly, and it's kind of fucked up to say, I'm glad CM Punk is taking the time off to rest his body. Because that way, he can just come out, do Raw every week, keep the title still the focus, and not have to break himself down and actually get a four-star match out of The Rock. Because let's not kid ourselves, The Rock is a, is a decent wrestler. Excellent entertainer, decent wrestler. Between his showmanship in the ring, right, Punk's, Punk's showmanship and his ability, that's a match for the ages. Exactly. And it'll be a match that'll help cement Punk's legacy. I agree. That's how I see it. Which they're obviously trying to build right now. Yep. And and they should. You know, if you're if you're acknowledging a guy who's been champion, whatever, 365, well, now he's, I think, 381, 382 days, whatever the case is, you're acknowledging a guy who's held the belt that long, it's because you're, you're completely invested in him as a personality. And if that's the case, then you need to make sure to give the fans the matches that will not only continue to reinforce CM Punk's legacy, but at least make his opponents go out there and also be part of history. Like, imagine The Rock goes out there, gets a, a, a five-star match with CM Punk. People are going to be like, holy shit, The Rock hasn't been in the ring in ages, comes back and has the match of his life against, you know, a guy who's who's literally the best in the world. You know, that that's huge. Well, as we know, the writers are, you know, almost destined to disappoint. Not saying that they won't make for, you know, great matches, but... They never seem to get the full potential of something, right? No, I agree 100%. Anything else you wanted to add, my friend? No. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. I just, you know, I really wish they would go that route because I think it would be awesome, but we'll see. Well, it's 12 days to the pay-per-view. CM Punk's expected recovery time is three weeks, uh, which would put him in line for probably... Right around the the middle of January, I believe the Rumble usually, I think the Rumble's January 27th, so he'll have at least two weeks to get himself ring ready to take on The Rock. So, 
I, I, I see good things happening. It's what, what concerns me is what we just said. You know, it's the outcome of that match and the direction after the rumble. Yeah. There you go. All right, homie. Which is a wait and see thing for, for next year, so we'll wait and see. All right, brother. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, peace. Peace. I wanted to talk a little bit about Impact because I got to catch most of it. Unfortunately, I didn't finish it, so I didn't want to rush through it. I did want to say that their final resolution pay-per-view is this weekend, and the matches on the card actually show quite a bit of promise. Bully Ray and Austin Aries, which is really good. Um, if anybody's seen the last time they got into an altercation on Austin Aries Brain Buster on a very large Bully Ray is a very impressive feat. Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, Garrett Bischoff, and Wes Bris and Wes Briscoe are taking on four members of Aces and Eights. I can all but guarantee you that Bischoff and Briscoe are members of Aces and Eights. I've watched wrestling way too long to see these two younger guys be involved and them not be members. I'm telling you, if not now, eventually, Wes Briscoe is going to be a member of Aces and Eights. So is Garrett Bischoff. I'm telling you. Just get, just uh, make a note of that on December 6th at 11.53 that Rich said, Wes Briscoe and Garrett Bischoff are going to be members of Aces and Eights. The X Division title is going to be on the line. RVD's taking on Kenny King, who actually returned on Impact in a very good match with Zima Ion and, of course, um, what the hell is this guy's name? Uh, Kid Cash. There you go. Kid Cash and Kenny King, Zima Ion had a really good match. And I only caught, I believe I caught the halfway point. I think when I stopped it before I started doing show prep, I believe Zima Ion and Kenny King were squared off and Kid Cash was still kind of in the corner recovering from a move. Um, We're going to see if they want to invest energy in Kenny King, if he's going to take the belt from RVD in his first pay-per-view match for the title. We shall see. Knockouts title is going to be on the line with Tara and Mickey James. Of course, we saw the return of Velvet Sky this week. Uh, Let the pigeons loose, as Taz would say. I'm I'm sure countless uh, wrestling fans that are fans of Velvet Sky were very happy to see her trademark entrance. The tag team titles are on the line. Chavo and Hernandez taking on Joey Ryan and Matt Morgan. I smell Ryan and Morgan getting the belts. Um, The smarmy heel of Joey Ryan and the real, real big main event look of Matt Morgan may be something that the TNA belts need right about now. I think Chavo and Hernandez are so over. They don't even need the belts to continue. But nonetheless, it should pose a very interesting match. And of course, a world title match, Jeff Hardy, Bobby Roode. I don't think they're going to put the belt on Rude so soon, only because Jeff Hardy's supposed to be re-signing his contracts up for negotiation in March. So I think they're going to want to keep him happy and keep the belt on him, hopefully to bait him into re-signing with the company. We shall see how that pans out. Now, in regards to some other wrestling news, I did want to address two bits of information. Uh, Tyler Rex actually took to Twitter to kind of... Put John Cena on notice. And one of the first things he talked about was being forced to stop using the burning hammer, which is an amazing finisher. And I'm going to share with you guys what Tyler Rex put on Twitter. Anyone want to know what top guy forced me to stop using the burning hammer, even after it appeared on SmackDown, Raw, and pay-per-views? And the fir- Any idea? He goes, first house show loop, John Cena pulls me aside, degrades me like I'm 10 years old, 
and tells me that if I use it again, I'd be fired. He yelled at me and said, who gave you permission to use that? Apparently, he hadn't been watching the product for the last eight months, or perhaps how he stole our idea to get fired and use social media to get over and run in from the crowd, which was an angle given to The Miz and R-Truth. I still have the promo DVD our idea was burned onto when Cena supposedly helped us with the idea, then lied and said it wasn't stolen later. Somebody on Twitter asked him about what what's going on with Alex Riley and his lack of a push. Tyler Rex said, Riley, great guy, talented, would be over as all hell if a certain someone wasn't holding him down. Of course, the, he may be referencing the incident between Alex Riley and John Cena uh, earlier this year, which, of course, shortly after that happened, Alex Riley is barely seen on television. It's very, very interesting to see a lot of people kind of shedding light on the backstage atmosphere of the WWE. Um, Tyler Rex seems like a classy dude. I've you know I've heard a couple of his interviews on a couple of different shows. I read uh, I read some stuff on his site. Uh, well spoken, well educated guy, and I I don't think he's full of shit. I think that his his gripe was legitimate. I think he he had a right to voice his opinion. And honestly, if he was using the burning hammer, why not let him use it? He's a big, powerful dude. Why should he be chastised for using a move that that looks like it's a great move that people rarely see? I don't know, man. I mean, it definitely just paints a different picture for Cena. I mean, Cena's a great ambassador for the company, a tremendous humanitarian. But who knows? Maybe he's an asshole behind the scenes. Who knows? Like I said, I'm not a member of the roster. I can't vouch for it, but he's not the first guy to say a little something about John Cena and his antics behind the scenes. Now, I wanted to talk about uh, last bit of wrestling news for this week involves the nature boy, Ric Flair. Uh, TMZ reported that Ric Flair's fourth wife, fourth, mind you, Jacqueline, Jacqueline Flair, filed for a legal separation from Flair in North Carolina. She claims that Ric Flair was unfaithful to her during the marriage. Back in October, the couple filed a separation agreement. Part of that agreement called for Ric Flair to pay her $4,000 a month in spousal support and a $15,000 one-time payment and an additional $14,000 from the time they were separated in July. Of course, Ric Flair's wife claims that Ric Flair has not paid any of the money that was agreed upon and that Excuse me, Ric Flair makes $1 million a year. So, clearly a cash grab. Um, when asked about the infidelity with Rick, that Ric Flair is being accused of, she said that Ric Flair had numerous intimate relationships with other women during their marriage to the embarrassment and humiliation of his wife, according to what it's being said. She also claimed that Ric Flair engaged in acts of illicit sexual behavior. Come on, ladies, you want to take a ride on Space Mountain? I can just imagine him just hitting on some young, drunk, 30-year-old chick at a bar saying he's Ric Flair and that he's wheeling and dealing. Oh, my God. It's it's just terrible. Terrible on so many levels. And I can imagine her saying, you know, acts of illicit sexual behavior. Maybe he just he just wants chicks to pee on him or some kind of crazy shit. Maybe he wants a chick to shit on a glass table while he's laying underneath. Who knows? Crazy. Maybe he wants the chick to dress up as Arn Anderson. And then he maybe calls another chick to dress up as Tully Blanchard. And he cuts promos like he's a member of the Four Horsemen. Who knows? I, Ric Flair, it's your fourth fucking wife, dude. Fourth. 
This is why you have to wrestle to the point where you they'll probably you'll probably have matches while you're on your deathbed. You'll have a deathbed match, maybe a catheter on a pole match. Seriously, fourteen thousand dollar payment first, then four grand a month, and another fifteen thousand dollars. Do the math. You know, four thousand dollars, four thousand dollars a month, right? For 12 months, that's $48,000. Then we're counting the $15,000 extra that she wants. That's $63,000 plus another $14,000. This chick in one year is going to take away $77,000. Mind you, this is only one year of the $4,000 a month spousal support payment that she wants. Ric Flair, you are a fucking idiot. You're an idiot. Why don't you just stand in the middle of a, of, of, a, of a street and charge people five bucks to give you chops? Seriously, a good old flare chop. Chop the nature boy for five dollars. This is how bad it's getting. Your fourth fucking wife. Clearly, you like to fuck around. You like to take women onto Space Mountain. Stay your ass away from the altar. That way you don't have to burn all your fucking money. Christ, it's embarrassing. Anyway, that wraps up this week's wrestling segment. Let's talk some video games. All right, first up. Let's get the ball rolling with the following. Superhero Hype is reporting that Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker will be voicing Daryl and Merle Dixon in the Walking Dead Survival Instinct first-person shooter game. You'll be able to pick that up in 2013 on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. This particular game is going to take place before the events of the Walking Dead show. So you'll be able to play as Merle and Daryl as they journey through most of the uh, nightmarish United States landscape to make their way to Atlanta as the world ends around them. So Reedus and Rooker will be doing the voice work and probably they're going to be doing the mocap for that. I'm actually looking forward to seeing that only because Michael Rooker is doing tremendous work as Merle in the Walking Dead show. So it's going to be interesting to see how well he does in the game. All I know is that I want to shoot a zombie in the face with a crossbow using Daryl. So... There you have it, 2013, Walking Dead, first-person shooter, 360, and PS3. In some shocking numbers out of Black Friday, Sony had a very, very impressive showing. They sold over 425,000 PlayStation 3 units. They also sold 160,000 Vita units as well. During that week, a lot of you may remember that the PS3 was being offered for $199. They were also doing bundles with the Vita, and each bundle featured various games depending on which retailer you went to. So a very solid showing for the PlayStation 3. 525,000 units sold. Honestly, it's, it makes me happy to see that. Because like I said, the PS3 has a steady, uh, a pretty solid library of titles. Not only that, but you know, uh, a report came out recently that a lot of the Netflix viewing is being done through the, through the PlayStation 3. Not only that, but you got a Blu-ray player, you got a complete home theater experience wrapped in a console so it's nice to see the playstation making some some headway and 
kind of making a bit of an impact. 525,000 units for Black Friday? I don't see any problems with that. Bloomberg Businessweek put out a report that said that the next generation Xbox will ship in time for Thanksgiving 2013. As of right now, rumors are saying that the Xbox is going to have an improved Connect, possibly Blu-ray, 3D technology, and also Xbox TV. So we may be seeing the Microsoft console actually become the centerpiece of home theater going forward. Obviously, take it as a rumor at this point, but if I hear more, I will, of course, share it with you guys. Those of you that are still playing Darksiders 2, you got a fresh bit of DLC coming your way. The Demon Lord Belial, which if you got the season pass, you can already play. If you don't have the season pass, it's $9.99 or 800 Microsoft points. So it's going to be a brand new campaign with death and... Um, It'll expand the playability of the game a little longer. So if you want to pick it up, like I said, if you got the season pass, it's yours already. If not, $9.99 or 800 Microsoft points. Speaking of DLC, WWE 13 released their first round of DLC, including Tensai, Ryback, Drew McIntyre, and Yoshitatsu. Also, Natalia and AJ Lee are available as well. Last but not least, we got a couple of other enhancements, including the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness attire and 10 new championship title belts. The final DLC pack is going to be out in January, and that pack is going to include Brian Pillman, Antonio Cesaro, Terry Funk as Chainsaw Charlie, Damian Sandow, The Usos, and Layla. So there you have it. If you've been on uh, keeping an eye on the DLC and you want to pick up Cesaro and Sandow, you'll be able to bag those at the end, well, you'll be able to bag them in January. I don't have a specific date yet. As for Ryback, Tensai, and the rest, those you can pick up now. I got an email from Capcom earlier this week I wanted to share with you guys. There's going to be some new add-on content dropping for Resident Evil 6, exclusively on the 360, though. That's going to be coming out December 18th. The modes that you're going to be getting are Predator, Survivor, and Onslaught modes. Each mode individually is priced at 320 Microsoft points, and it expands on the multiplayer elements of the game. You can also pick up all three modes as a bundle, which is going to run you 720 Microsoft points on the Xbox Live Marketplace. Like I said, that bundle is coming to the 360 first. In a bit of news that really, really shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone here, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 has passed the $1 billion mark in worldwide sales. According to ChartTrack, the game hit November and in only 15 days, it cleared a billion dollars. Last year's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 hit a billion dollars in 16 days. So, um, broke the record by a whole day. Obviously, at this point... It's really a no-brainer with these Call of Duty games. Not to say that they are rehashes every time, but the name itself sells, and the more enhancements you add and the better you make it to play, the more money you're going to make. $1 billion is a nice number, but I wouldn't be shocked if they release a title, a Call of Duty title that does $2 billion. Seriously. $1 billion, great. $2 billion, I'm sure they're trying to find ways to move units to to make that happen, but congrats, congrats to Activision and those guys for putting out a very, very solid game. I haven't played it yet, but um, I know John and a couple of other people have been playing it. They really like the single-player campaign, and of course, multiplayer is multiplayer, so 
take it for what it's worth. I know it's on my Gamefly queue, and I'll probably do a Gamefly queue review for it at some point, but it's nice to see video games get a, get a nice acknowledgement from mainstream press. A billion dollars sure is nice. In some 3DS news, we got some release dates for Castlevania Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem Awakening. Fire Emblem Awakening will be in stores February 4th. They're also going to release a new Brain Age, which is coming out February 10th. Animal Crossing New Leaf is going to be out the second quarter in Europe, but there's no North American release yet. Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon and Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate will be out in spring 2013. So there you have it. I know a lot of people were really looking forward to Castlevania, so you're going to be able to bag those in the springtime and Luigi's Mansion as well. All right, that actually wraps up this week's gaming segment. Let's get right into it and not waste any time and talk some entertainment news for this week. Opening it up, we're going to start with some Marvel news. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is actually starting its casting process already, and they're looking for somebody to play Peter Quill or AKA Star Lord. Thus far, these are the following people that have been considered for the role Joe Egerton, Garrett Hedlund, Jack Houston, James Marsden, Lee Pace, Eddie Redmayne, Jim Sturgis. And Sullivan Stapleton, who is actually a, a guy who I'd like to see get the role only because I'm a fan of his work on Strike Back. As of right now, they're saying that Quill's character is going to be the central protagonist of the film. He's going to be the character that was raised on Earth, learns his father from out of space, goes out, gets himself into an intergalactic, into a big intergalactic conflict, which eventually, of course, leads to him becoming the leader of Guardians of the Galaxy. So... Out of all those guys, if you wanted to go a little younger, not James Marsden. I would take James Marsden out, but I would probably go with Garrett Hedlund. I think Garrett Hedlund would do really well in that. I mean, his work in Tron was very was very good. Sullivan Stapleton, he's a little more grizzled looking. So, like I said, I'm a fan of his from his work on Strike Back. But if you want to go a little younger and you want to do a couple of movies, maybe Garrett Hedlund may be your guy for that. But... Until I get further no until I get further news regarding the casting, those are the guys that you're going to be able to keep an eye on. Of course, Guardians of the Galaxy is scheduled to hit theaters August 1st, 2014. Now, departing from the usual stuff that we talk about, I wanted to talk about something that I read uh, during the hiatus last week, and it involved Quentin Tarantino. I'm a big Quentin Tarantino buff. I, I pretty much own most of his movies. And he actually did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and he felt that Death Proof was the worst movie he ever made. I, it, look, I don't think Death Proof was awesome, but I don't think it was complete shit. Honestly, I think the, the car crash scenes in that movie were amazing. Do I think that there was way too much dialogue, way too much on-screen dialogue? Yes. That I definitely think was was part of the problem. Do I think the movie sucked? No. Do 
Do I think it is a masterpiece like some of his other films? No. It's just okay. Quentin Tarantino's classics in my book, Kill Bill's Volume 1 and 2, The Bastards, Pulp Fiction. Those those are the ones, you know, that, that I that I think of first and foremost when it comes to Tarantino movies. Jackie Brown is also on that list. But mostly, like I said, those films kind of fall into like my all-time favorites, like The Bastards I could watch a thousand times. Same thing with Kill Bill 1 and 2. Pulp Fiction never gets old. Jackie Brown is another one that I don't think it was one of his greatest films, but it was definitely one of his most enjoyable because you had such a crazy cast of characters just outside of their element. Robert De Niro, um, not Sam Jackson because he's nuts, but it was nice to see, you know, Pam Greer get involved. She's a a classic actress. I, I've seen so many of Pam Greer's quote-unquote black exploitation movies growing up. One of my favorites being Coffee, which is... Um, Probably has one of the catchiest tunes that that you can you can have for one of those old movies. I'm really really enjoyed Pam Greer in a lot of those movies. Uh, like I said, Coffee being one of my favorites. If you get a chance, you could probably come across it on VHS in one of your like one of those seedy old video cassette stores. I'm not sure Coffee came out on DVD, but if it did, maybe see if it's on Netflix. But you gotta see it. You gotta see that. And, and and Foxy Brown, of course. Foxy Brown is another one that I can definitely throw in there, but Coffee is my all-time favorite. The comic book community and internet nerds all let out a collective uh, cheer when they found out that Brian Singer was not only doing the next X-Men First Class film, but that we were going to see the returns of Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen. But it's also been announced that Wolverine will also be returning to the to the movies as well. Obviously, this new film is going to take place with the X-Men Days of the Future past storyline, which, of course, you're going to need Wolverine because he's a big part of that story. And Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, because if you're doing young Professor X, young Magneto, and you're doing Days of the Future past, old Professor X, old Magneto would be pretty cool to have as well. And it's good to see Brian Singer involved, and I'm sure he's going to get more of the original cast, Storm, Cyclops, all those guys. I'm sure we'll see Halle Berry throw on the black leather, and I'm sure James Marsden, he, he's not doing anything but lame romantic comedies anyway. So it's good to see it. We'll, I, hopefully we'll get to see some big screen Sentinels in action as well, because that's a big part of that story. I'm looking forward to it. July 18th, 2014 is the, 2014, excuse me, is the target date for that. Like I said, super pumped. Patrick Stewart, McKellen, Jackman, all all returning. And of course, they joined James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, and Michael Fassbender. So, there you have it. Something very interesting came across my desk yesterday. And it's the um, some of the listing of nominations for the Oscars. Which, whatever, I really don't care about the Oscars too much. But it's very interesting because in the visual effects category, they got some really, really cool nominees. And um, the following, of course, here are the nominees, which will probably be cut down to um, to five nominees. For visual effects, The Amazing Spider-Man, Cloud Atlas, The Dark Knight Rises, Hobbit Unexpected Journey, John Carter, Life of Pi, the Avengers, 
Prometheus, Skyfall, and Snow White and the Huntsman are all being considered as nominees, well, the, the preliminary nominees for Best Visual Effects. The Oscar nominations will be announced January 10th, and the ceremony is going to be taking place February 24th. So there you have it. It's nice to see, you know, Dark Knight, Spidey, The Avengers, um, Skyfall, all and Prometheus is just in that category for visual effects. I will tell you, Cloud Atlas is a shoe-in in terms of being nominated because the effects in that movie were insane. Dark Knight Rises wasn't more visual effect. It was just more cinematography where I would nominate that. If you want to talk about visual effects, I'd ha- the nod would go to the Avengers before I would give it to Spider-Man. Obviously, visual effects, Prometheus, the Avengers. My nominees out of these out of this category would be Prometheus, the Avengers, um, John Carter, Cloud Atlas, and probably the Hobbit. Unless you wanted to go a little bit more artistic and you wanted to go with the Life of Pi, um, which you can do. But honestly, those will be my five. I'm sure it's going to be close to that. But again, we'll find out January 10th. And once we do, I will share that with you guys. Heading into the small screen side of things, I wanted to talk about uh, the CW, which of course is kind of becoming the DC Young Hero Network with Smallville, uh, Birds of Prey, now with Arrow. So they want to do a new one about Wonder Woman called Amazon. And you can call you can pretty much throw this in the what the fuck TV news category because Deadline is reported that the plot and the pilot episode will focus on a new character and not the traditional Wonder Woman Diana Prince. Here is what the description of the show is is pretty much about. And I guarantee you when you hear this you're going to think it is complete rubbish. Mind you, they don't have a Wonder Woman in mind yet. They're looking for an actress that's at least 5'8". Anyway, here's the description. She comes, from a re- she comes from a remote, secluded country and until now spent most of her life as a soldier and a leader on the battlefield. Because of relentless brutali- the relentless brutality of her life at home, the character's name is Iris. Iris looks at our world with absolute awe and astonishment. She's delighted and just as often horrified by the aspects of everyday life that we take for granted. Skyscrapers, traffic, and ice cream. It's all new and fascinating and sometimes slightly troubling. Iris is completely unschooled in our world, our culture, our customs. And she's completely inexperienced at interpersonal relationships. She has no social filter, does not suffer, and tends to do and say exactly what's on her mind at all times. She's bluntly, refreshingly honest. She can tell when you're lying to her, and she doesn't have time or patience for politics or tact because she's too busy trying to experience everything our world has to offer. There are too many sights to see and things to learn and people to care for. Hers is a true, noble, and generous heart, and she will fight and die for the people she loves. Iris is a fierce warrior with innocent heart, and roman- which is both romantic and also vigilant. She will fight to the death to make sure the world is safe for innocence and true romantics anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. That is what they want to go with. They want to call it Amazon, and they don't want Diana Prince as Wonder Woman. Look, and, and I'll, be, I'll be completely honest with you guys. 
and and this is just one of the first things I want to talk about regarding the CW. When you're talking about superheroes on the small screen, we all know liberties are going to be taken. It's a no-brainer. My issue with the way that these are being done is the fact that they're going completely in 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 a in a crazy direction. Smallville had its subtle nods to the source material and at times it was spot on with the source material. It varied and it would flip-flop, which was probably one of the things that made the crap the fans start disliking the show. I've been watching Arrow for the for the last couple of weeks and Arrow is surprisingly not a bad show. There are a couple of things I don't like, but I like the the subtle nods to certain aspects of Green Arrow's character. I also like the appearances of so many different DC villains throughout the series thus far. One being Deathstroke, of course, one of my favorite characters who appeared in one of the earlier episodes, which leads me into the second bit of news for this week, which is that the guy who played Deathstroke in the earlier episodes is not going to be playing him going forward. EntertainmentWeekly.com reports that Manu Manu Bennett or Manu Benet, depending on how it's pronounced, who you guys may know as Crixus from Spartacus, is actually going to be playing Slade Wilson in CW's Arrow. Obviously, they're going to use him in some flashbacks, and who knows, we may actually see a little bit of Deathstroke in action as well. As of right now, those of you that have been watching Arrow have seen Deathstroke in a flashback with his mask on, and he was played by another actor in that scene. But it looks like Manu Benet is going to be playing Slade Wilson going forward. I think he's a he's a solid actor to do it. And given his physical presence in Spartacus, I think he will pull it off quite well. As for Amazon, we already learned our lesson from the first Wonder Woman pilot. Why must why must we continue to to just fuck it up? It's not difficult. She's a chick from an Amazon island. She's a warrior. She fights crime. She has big gold gold bracelets that deflect bullets. She has a rope, which she throws on people to make them tell the truth and flies an invisible jet. How difficult is that? Seriously. I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. But it's it's just so wrong on so many levels what they're trying to do with this character that they should just leave it alone. Another bit of what-the-fuck movie news I wanted to share with you guys involved a, a director who I'm actually a fan of, and that's James Gunn. He did Super, he also did Slither, and a couple of other movies I enjoyed. Now, a lot of people brought this out because, obviously, he's directing Guardians of the Galaxy. But, they're referencing a blog that he wrote, I'd like to say, two years ago. And the blog post was called, 50 Superheroes You Most Want to Have Sex With. Obviously, um, people were complaining because of the some of the commentary that he shared... His commentary included calling Gambit a fruit, um, turning Batwoman from a lesbian into a straight woman, and a couple of things as well. But the funny thing is, it's not so much what he wrote, it's the fact that he wrote it a long time ago, and that it's just coming out now, and people just, people have become way too fucking soft. The guy, I read the entire blog post, it was satire, it was funny, I got a couple of chuckles out of it. Is it great? No. Is is it really just humor and not meant with with malicious intent? Absolutely. Seriously, people people have become way too dependent on championing causes 
that they probably just don't give a fuck about any day of the week, but they want to resort to mock outrage in order to make themselves relevant. Look, I understand. Yeah, he called Gambit a fruit. Sure. Not the greatest thing in the world. Sure. He said something about, you know, turning Batwoman straight, you know, from her being a lesbian, which, of course, the way it was written in the in the blog post wasn't it wasn't the, the most uh, politically correct way to get the point across. But you know what, dude? It was it was a fucking blog post. And it's old at that. It was something that was written years ago. And the guy, the guy, you know, he delete either he deleted the post or it was deleted. But still, years ago, get the fuck over it. Seriously. People can have a life outside of what they do. And sometimes some of the things that we do may not be the most widely accepted. Seriously, I'm an open book. I pretty much, most of the stuff I share with you guys on air, that's pretty much my everyday life. It really is. Everything from start to finish. Am I crass and rude? Sometimes I'm a little too honest? Off air? Absolutely. But you know what? That's who I am. If this guy wrote this, he wrote it because he's a guy that does movies like Super and Slither and and movies like that that are just kind of tied into that gray area. If you watch the movie Super with Rain Wilson, who I can't stand, and he actually, James Gunn made him bearable in that movie, you'll understand what I'm saying. People need to really stop trying to make everything that they see and hear and read, make it that it offends them. I see shit all the time that that should offend me, either for being a minority or, or, you know, for raising handicapped children or whatever. And you know what I do? I move on. And I'll I'll use a perfect example. Sometimes, and and I'm a big fan of Opie and Anthony. I I love those guys, Opie, Anthony, Jim Norton. Uh, Jim Norton has a character, Uncle Paul, who is like a like a take on that that creepy uncle who who sometimes turns out to be a pedophile. And sometimes he does the skit as Uncle Paul, and it's a little too creepy for my liking. So what do I do? I change the channel for a little bit, maybe five, ten minutes, and I come back. Sometimes O and A they go on tangents and and you know about about people that are handicapped and you know and and again I'm only using this for reference. Sometimes they go on on tangents on what's can be aptly titled as retard humor. And they go on these tangents, and as someone who, who is raising handicapped children or who has raised them for the majority of his life, you know, certain things, they definitely resonate a little differently. Does it make me dislike ONA any less or, or make me hate them or make me want to boycott them? No, because I know that it's just their shtick and it's just the way shit is. If I walked around being offended about every fucking thing that happens in my life, I would never leave my house. And for these people to to jump on this bandwagon about something that's not even recent, it's insane. It is completely fucking insane. Excuse me. Anyway, let's get into some box office totals. Number 10, The Collection. Number 9, Flight, which made $81.5 million. Very nice. Red Dawn was number 7, tied with Killing Them Softly, which at this point is considered a dud. And you know what? A lot of people are telling me that it fucking sucks. Wreck-It Ralph was number six. Life of Pi was number five. Rise of the Guardians was number four. Lincoln was number three. Skyfall was number two. 
and the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 was number one. It's made $254 million so far. You guys can check out Andrea's review on the site if you guys are interested. And um, yeah, it was, you know, it was all right. It was, you know, according to what Andrea said, it was probably the best out of all of the films. Who knows? I think I only took her to see, I think I took her to see the second one. I think it's the second one because the third one is the one that got broken into two parts. Yeah, I think it was the second one for our anniversary. But yeah, I I slept, I think, through most of the second one. And then I woke up I, like during the battle scenes, which were probably some of the shittiest special effects and CGI I've seen in, in, in modern movies. It was it was just ridiculous. And I said to myself, wow, you make people actually pay money for this shit. And the effects look so shitty. But Andrea actually told me that the effects in the new one weren't that bad. But like I said, read her review, share your thoughts and your comments, and uh, let us know what you think. Latino Review actually spilled the beans on who may potentially be the villain for the upcoming Justice League movie. And ladies and gentlemen, it should come as no surprise that it will be Darkseid. As of right now, the Justice League is comprised of Superman, Batman, the Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. I don't know if they're going to add the Flash or maybe Green Arrow, but those are the four that have been mentioned thus far. They are expecting a 2015 release date. Right now, there's a rumor that's been floating around that Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be playing Batman in the Justice League movie. I don't know how true that is, but... I'm not 100% sold on that idea. But, like I said, it's two years away, and I'm sure that we're going to be getting a lot more news till then. But, Latino Review did state that Darkseid would be the villain. In some Marvel casting news, IGN confirmed that Dane DeHaan from Chronicle will be playing Harry Osborn in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, Mark Webb actually put a tweet confirming it, so there you have it. Dane DeHaan will be playing Harry Osborn in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which you can see in theaters May 2nd, 2014. This next bit of news was so random and so out of left field that I just I just couldn't even give an opinion until I shared it with you guys. Robert Zemeckis, get this, has a script ready for a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Zemeckis told MTV that the script is ready and he is waiting on a green light from Disney. And that the film would be done in hand-drawn animation and utilize 3D tools. It wouldn't be Pixar 3D, but it would definitely be a different and unique form of 3D, you know, that would emphasize the hand-drawn animation. So there you have it, a Roger Rabbit sequel. Roger Rabbit came out in 1988 had Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd, and of course, introduced Roger and Jessica Rabbit, Baby Herman, and a ton of other characters. Of course, we got to see characters from Warner Brothers and Disney on screen for the first time. So, very, very cool. Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies. I think I've watched Roger Rabbit every time it's been on since I was a kid. I was eight years old when it came out. I went to see it in theaters with my brother, and I've watched it ever since, whether it's on television, video, DVD. I'm a sucker for that movie. I think it's just because it's such a a pleasant reminder of my childhood and it was it was so enjoyable for me. So hearing that they're doing a sequel, I mean, it's cool that Robert Zemeckis is involved and Disney is is going to give it the green light, but 1988, guys. 
I don't know if you can keep that same amount of magic in a brand new movie. I mean, they kind of did that with Wreck-It Ralph with all the different characters from all the different games. So I don't think it's something that can't be done. I just feel that characters like Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit, they're just not that well-known to younger audiences. Like, you're going to have to go out of your way to introduce or reintroduce those characters to get people more interested. Me, personally, I'm, I'm kind of pumped to see it. I'm not going to lie. All right. Um, we got to talk a little bit about Sin City, which, of course, they were working on the new one, which is a Dame to Kill for, and there was some alterations in, in casting, um, the biggest being the recasting of the character Minute, which was played by Michael Clark Duncan. Um, it seems that Dennis Haysbert, who you guys may know as Serrano from Major League or the president from 24, he will be playing Minute in Sin City's A Dame to Kill For. Of course, like I said, Michael Clark Duncan played the role in the first Sin City. So be on the lookout for the next Sin City film. I believe it's scheduled to be in theaters next year. I've heard different dates. Um, of course, it's going to be co-directed by Frank Miller with Robert Rodriguez. Mickey Rourke is coming back. Jessica Alba, Rosario Dawson, Jamie King, and Jamie Chung are all going to be reprising their roles. So it would be fitting to close out this week's show with the biggest festering pile of what-the-fuck movie news ever. Latino Review reports, and I shared this courtesy of our friends at Film Drunk, that the Scarface remake will no longer have a Cuban Tony Montana. Instead, Tony Montana will be Mexican. And the and the remake is going to take place in the world of drug cartels. So there you have it. The studio has thus far kept the story under wraps, but the ethnicity and geography were important in the first two versions. In 1983, obviously, uh, the film with Al Pacino, Tony Montana was Cuban, and um, his ethnic origins, of course, played a, a big part in the plot. But Latino Review has done some digging, and they reveal that the new Tony Montana will, in fact, be Mexican, and that the remake is going to take place in the world of drug cartels. Scarface does not need a remake. Leave it the fuck alone. And if you're going to make him Mexican, I, look, I don't care personally, but I just don't think that the magic that was in the first Scarface movie can be replicated. Now, I got a crazy idea I'm going to share with you guys, and you guys may may think I'm insane, but if you want to proceed with Scarface and this whole thing, I would I would bring back Michelle Pfeiffer and have it turn out that her character had gotten pregnant and had Tony Montana's kid. And that she, you know, she's kind of kept him out of the spotlight and kept him out of that. And, you know, he gets into, into the age where people start talking and, and he finds out about his dad and he decides that he wants to avenge his father's murder and, and restart the family business. Not only do I think that would be better because it kind of keeps the source material, but you can have a lot of flashbacks to the movie. You can use Michelle Pfeiffer. I would rather that than Tony Montana be Mexican and it take place during the drug cartels of today. Two reasons why I don't think that would work. <clears throat> Number one, we've already seen enough movies about the drug cartels to where 
throwing another one out there is like pretty much throwing a water balloon in a lake. It won't do shit, but add more water to the mix. Same shit here. Honestly, the last drug cartel movie that I liked was Savages. I really enjoyed that. And that was just because it was a little different. But you want to do Scarface that way? It's a recipe for fucking disaster. Like I said, if you want to kind of do something with it, I would use Michelle Pfeiffer. Like I said, make it that she got away. She was pregnant, had his kid. And, you know, she never she 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 never told him about his father. He comes across some stuff that she had put away and she's like, he you know, he gets curious he's like, hey, who's this? And she's forced to tell him. And of course, she's not going to tell him everything. And he read does some digging and finds out that his dad was, you know, the biggest drug lord ever, whatever, whatever. And he starts talking to people about it and it starts making its way through the streets that he's Tony Montana's son. It it would it would work so much better, and you can cast a younger person, tell a deeper story, kind of flesh out um, a little bit more of Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and I, it would just be so much better if you're going to go that route versus a complete remake. Again, this is my logic, and of course, if if you guys agree or disagree, feel free to let me know. I'm curious. I'm curious to to hear what you guys think about that idea. Because I honestly would entertain seeing that versus seeing Mexican Scarface. I'm sorry, but that's that's how I see it. Anyway, ladies and gents, that actually wraps up this week's show. So let's let's wrap things up and take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 165 for Thursday, December 6th, 2012. If you have any have you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, or would like to advertise with us, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on social media, follow us on Twitter at mytakeradio, look for us on MySpace, become a fan on Facebook, ask us questions on Formspring, and last but not least, add us to your circle on Google+. If you want to have MTR with you at all times and get access to original MTR content and programming, you can always pick up the My Take Radio app available for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. You get access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR. Not only that, but you'll get access to original content like our MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic interview series, the Minority Film Report. You'll get mobile wallpapers. And we're going to start adding some of our video content there as well of course in addition to the app you can also listen to mtr via stitcher blog talk radio the zune marketplace uh tune in radio and yeah that's it we our syndication deal is on hold like i said the guy was going through some personal stuff and he told me that he was going to kind of put things on the back burner so our syndication for the time being is on the back burner but as always you can listen to the show, like I said, via all those outlets, you can listen to the live show by calling in using the call in number and not hitting option one. And of course, via Mixler or via blog talk radio. All right, guys, I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. And we're out of here. Peace. I think we're going to take the show out this week with the mania, uh, with the maniac agendas, figure it out. 
which I played for 164, and a lot of people really enjoyed it, so it's going to take us out this week. It is their version of Figure It Out, which was done by Serge Tankian from System of a Down. You can check them out at facebook.com forward slash the Maniac Agenda. You can also check out their website, maniacmusic.net, and also look for the Maniac Agenda on SoundCloud. See you guys next week. Peace. Let's figure it out.